Are you ready for the word today? We'll jump right into it. Get your sermon notes out. Get your uh, iPads, your Bibles, anything that you, whatever you use to open up the word of God. Let's open to John chapter 20. Yeah. John 20. We're just celebrating yelling because we love the Bible, love the word. We think that church should be the happiest place you're at all week long. No, we really believe that the church should be the happiest place you should be all week long. I had a minor water malfunction backstage there, so don't pay any attention to this area. You're like, well, if you hadn't pointed out, I wouldn't have known. Somebody would have, and they thought I like, didn't make it to the bathroom or something. But Let's just be honest and transparent. Let's just get it out there. Just kind of break the ice, right? Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes I think just sometimes when you get a little too uptight about things, God just says, okay, here, just relax. <laughs> Easter Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm just drinking it in right now and just basting in the humility of it all. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> hey, two things you can do when things like that happen. You can either let it take you down or you can just run with it. So uh, I just want you all to please spill water on your pants so I feel better about myself. <laughs> Go ahead, just amongst yourself. I'm just kidding. <laughs> John chapter 20. <laughs> oh, Lord. John chapter 20. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop here. When you're talking about uh, the Easter story or Easter weekend or the Resurrection Sunday. You know, there's all kinds of directions you can go and what ki all kinds of stories and, and back lines you can go to. And I had one of my daughters ask me this week, said, Dad, are you going to preach about the same thing this year? I'm like, number one, thank you. That sounded really awesome. <laughs> number two, uh, yeah, we're going to try and talk about, you know, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's kind of the theme for the weekend, but we're going to try and do it in a way that's a lot more exciting than what you're thinking it's going to be about. That's why I was telling her that. So anyway, um, with a little bit of the backstory, where this, is, where this is taking place, Jesus has already risen from the dead in chapter 20. He raised from the dead that morning. He's already uh, seen Mary Magdalene, so went to see Mary first. And uh, Mary, you know, showed up on the scene first and talked to Mary. And then uh, after that, Mary Magdalene went and ran and told all the disciples. She found them and told them, hey, Jesus is risen. You know, they didn't necessarily believe it. Peter and John run to the tomb to see for themselves. And John outruns Peter, makes it there first. And they go inside and they look. Sure enough, Jesus is gone. They don't know where he's at. They don't know what's happened, but they know he's, he's gone. John actually, the Bible says that John actually saw and believed. And so he realized that Jesus had risen from the dead. So then they, they go back, though, and, and uh, after this process has taken place, now they find themselves, because it says in this verse that on the same day, so this is that same day that Jesus rose from the dead, all those things happened. Jesus had a very busy day. They find themselves locked up in this room. And notice what it says here. A couple of things that I'm going to point out that I think are prevalent about verse 19. The same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, Underline that in your Bible if you don't have it already. Underline the, the doors were shut for the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Two things that I want you to know about there. Number one, the doors were shut. When it says the doors were shut, they were shut intentionally. This wasn't on accident. It was purposeful. They had closed the doors. 
Nobody had closed it for them. They had closed the doors themselves. They had shut people out. They had shut themselves in. And there's a reason for it. It says because of fear of the Jews. Now they were afraid. So they're shut in this room because they're afraid. But you got to understand We can relate a little bit that they'd be afraid because they believe Jesus was the son of God and these people crucified Jesus and they're thinking, if they can crucify Jesus, what are they gonna do to us? So they're a little bit afraid and I can understand it a little bit. I can relate a little bit because there's times in our life that we're afraid and when we're afraid, what happens when we get afraid in a situation, we begin to shut doors. Can anybody relate to me? Because sometimes they they shut the doors trying to keep people out. But the problem is when you get afraid and you shut doors to keep people out that might hurt you, the problem is if you're not careful, you can also shut doors on people who love you and want to get in. Sometimes we got to watch who we're shutting the doors on. We, we got to make sure that we're not doing it for the wrong motivation. They were doing it for fear and they were doing it because they were afraid. So they shut off access to other people. Now, how many of us have been hurt by someone, hurt by, by a boyfriend or a girlfriend or hurt by a friend or hurt by a family member, hurt by a church member, hurt by a church itself, hurt by God himself? Whatever happened, you've been hurt by somebody and because of that, you've shut the door because you said, I will not let that happen again. You said, I'm not going to go out like that anymore. Every time I open up myself to someone, I get hurt. So you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shut the door because I'm afraid I'll get hurt again. So you never open up to anybody else again. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you in a room, close the door, and isolate you from other people. And he tells us it's for your own protection. He tells you it's the good thing to do. Just shut the door and you'll never get hurt. That's what he tells you. But it's a lie. It's a lie for this reason, because sometimes in an attempt to protect ourselves, we shut out the wrong people. We give them that, we give them that stiff arm, and, and we, we stiff arm the people who really can help us because somebody who looks like them hurt us. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you, you, stiff, your arm, you stiff arm churches because you were in a church that, that, and you got hurt. But let me just tell you something. I've been, when I went to work, I've been hurt at work, and I kept going back the next day. I got hurt by some coworkers and I still showed up the next week to go to work. Why? Because we, real, we got to realize people are people. Jesus is the one that we got to focus on. If you've been hurt by a church situation, don't come here because we're a perfect church because we're not. If you're going to hang around people, whether at work, at church, at school, at the park, wherever, roller skating rink, do they even have roller skating rinks anymore? I don't even know. Wherever... <laughs> Wherever you're going to hang out with people, you're going to have a chance to get hurt. The Bible says this, that it's impossible that offenses won't come. It's impossible. They're going to come. So don't shut the door because sometimes what we mean to shut doors for protection, it ends up being a prison. We can shut doors for protection. It ends up being a prison. We shut doors. We're going to keep them out. We think, ah, I got everybody out. I'm protected. I'm protected. Actually, we're in prison. We're shut in and we can't get out. So this is what God's wanting to do. He says he, he showed up and they had the door shut. 
closed doors to keep people out, but Jesus is inviting us to open the door again. Eh? He's inviting you and I to open our doors again, not because no one will ever hurt you again. I'm not making any promises that nobody ever do you wrong. I'm not saying, hey, open the doors. Nothing will ever happen to you again. I'm not saying that. I'm inviting you to open the door. I believe Jesus is inviting us to open the door, not because of them, but because of him, because his love for you is so good that you can open the door for him and it will drive out all the fear that's causing you to close doors. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says this, that, that uh, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment because he who fears has not been made perfect in love. His love for you gives you the courage to open the door again. I'm not saying you to open the door to everybody in your life. I'm not saying to open your door to everybody in the world. I'm just saying let his love give you the courage to open the door and trust that God can help you walk through it. I know you've been hurt. I know you're afraid that something could happen. But if you will let his love get in your heart, it will cause you to open the door again. That's what he's asking for. He's inviting, inviting you to come in. Because these same disciples, I just want to throw this out. These same disciples that's hiding in this room with the closed doors in John chapter 20 are the same disciples that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on them in their private little room, all of a sudden something came on the inside of them that caused them to open the door and go out and make a difference in the world around them. So what happened was the power that what was inside of them overcame their fears of what was against them. And that's what God's wanting to tell us today. He's saying, listen, it's not that you're going to have a carefree life and problem-free life. He said, I'm just wanting to put something on the inside of you that's greater than the opposition against you. That's what makes us open the door. I don't open the door because I don't have any problems. I open the door because I know what power is inside of me and helps me to walk through those situations. So he's, he's just giving you encouragement today, giving me encouragement. So what hurts have caused you to close the door today? I don't know. I don't know what yours are. I know what mine are. I know what doors I need to open. I know that it happens. It's not a one-time deal. I'm telling you, doors are constantly trying to be shut in our life, and God wants to keep them open. So the doors were shut where they were assembled, and, but look what happens next. They were afraid. They're in this bad situation. The doors were shut where they were assembled for fear of the Jews, and then Jesus came and stood in the midst. Everybody say, in the midst. He came and stood in the midst. In the midst of what? In the middle in the middle of their fear, in the middle of their hopelessness, in the middle of their torment, in the middle of their despair. Because you gotta understand, remember, Jesus was their leader. He was their hope for their life. And all of a sudden, Jesus is gone. They, what's gonna happen now? So in the middle of their fear, in the middle of their terror, in the middle of their despair and hopelessness, Jesus comes and stands in the midst. This is what I like about Jesus. He wants to come stand right in the middle of your situation when it looks like everybody else has forsaken you. Let me say it again. Jesus wants to come stand with you in the middle of your situation when it looks like all people have forsaken you. Second Timothy says it this way. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Jesus wants to stand with you during difficult times. He wants to stand with you during difficult times. He loves to come stand in the midst. It's not about Jesus wants to come and get rid of all your problems. What he wants to do is come stand with you in the middle of your problems. Maybe you heard the story about these guys in Daniel chapter 3. He talks about three dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I like to call them Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just for personal application. 
I know it's Shadrach, but I like to remind myself that anytime I'm in a fiery situation, Jesus wants to come stand with Shadrach. <laughs> so anyway, they're in this, what I like about this story, because it relates to what happened with Thomas and, and them and how he come and stood in the midst in this Daniel chapter three, it says that, that the king threw him in this fiery furnace, you know, because they wouldn't bow and worship him. But look what the king said. He was talking to his buddies and he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He said, did we not throw three men bound into the midst of the fire? Now that word bound means to be tied up in knots, tied up in knots. How many of you have ever felt like the enemy in your life and circumstance in your life have got you all tied up in knots in the middle of a fiery situation? Try to put things into your life, turmoil in your head and your thought life, and all of a sudden I'm tied up in knots. This is what the enemy, I believe, says sometimes. He says to all of his demonic cohorts and buddies, he says, hey, didn't we throw them into that fiery situation? Didn't we tie them up with worry, anxiety, and fear? Didn't you throw all that at them? Yes, sir, we did. We've been hitting them all week long. We've been giving them all kinds of fear and anxiety thoughts. And we've been hitting them with stress at work and stress with the kids. Stress. We've got them all tied up in knots. They are bound, man. We, we got them in that fiery situation. They're right in the middle. This thing will surely take them out. I believe that's a conversation sometimes that happens. But look what happened next. Verse 20, 24, I believe it is, 25. But then he said, but look. I see, you know, we drew three in there that were bound up, but I see four men, four, walking loose in the midst of the fire. See, when Jesus comes to stand in the midst with you, we go, it's not that he takes us out of the fire. I just go from being bound up in the fire to loose and walking around right in the middle of it. See, sometimes we only want to see God rescuing us when we're out of the fire. But Jesus said, listen, I want you to understand when I come stand with you in the middle, it's like you're out of it because you're loose walking in the midst of what would destroy other people. You're walking around and you're surviving. See, the Bible says that when they came out, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. I just believe Jesus is wanting to encourage you that when Jesus stands with you, what would destroy other people, you're going to walk right through it. You have, we, phrase, we have that phrase you used to come out. This comes out smelling like a rose. I don't care what happens. They always come out smelling like a rose. That's what happens when Jesus stands with you. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean you're not sweating great drops of blood. It doesn't mean it's not stressful, but it means when I come out, I'm not even going to smell like that. I'm going to smell like where God's taking me, not where I've been. Come on, somebody. You got to praise the Lord this morning. You say, he wants to come stand in the midst. So here's what I like about Jesus. He's not intimidated by your problems. He's not intimidated by your issues. He's not intimidated by your fire. He said, you're in a fiery situation? Boom. I like to come stand right in the middle of it with you. He doesn't come in with fire extinguisher all the time. Let's get rid of all that so I can come in. He doesn't send a crew in. Hey, get that place all cleaned up. I don't want any fire. I can't come in there. It's got to be peaceful wherever I am. Jesus said, when I come, I bring peace with me. He will stand in the midst with you. Are you feeling me? Okay, so he says, he comes in and he, he says, I want, I want to make sure and do that. I, I want to stand right in the middle. Maybe, maybe, maybe Daniel doesn't work for you. Maybe, maybe you relate more to Peter. Maybe you're like, well, I fire. I don't get that. My name's not Chad Rack, so that doesn't work for me. But maybe Peter, maybe Peter's a better story for you and how Peter was walking on the water and, and coming out to Jesus and he's standing with Jesus, Jesus standing. And storms all around everywhere, right? 
I mean, huge storm, and Peter's standing right there with Jesus in the midst of it, but then Peter starts looking around and gets afraid, and, starts, and what starts happening? He starts, starts sinking, and the Bible says that when he started sinking, he cried out, says, Lord, save me, and, and Jesus reached down immediately and picked him up. He says he caught him, and he picked him up right out of there, and he says, Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt now, I read that. Sometimes you could read it like Jesus was scolding him. Like, how do, why did you doubt? And we can feel this condemnation about, why did we doubt? Oh, that's stupid. Why did I doubt? Oh, so dumb. Why, why did I? I don't believe that's what Jesus was saying. I believe he said, why did you doubt because I was standing with you? Why did you doubt when I'm standing with you? Because here's what's so important. Jesus never said anything about the storm. Jesus didn't minimize the significance of the storm. I believe Jesus could have looked at Peter and said, wow, this is a doozy, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man, this is a pretty bad storm. He didn't minimize the significance of the storm, but he maximized the power of his presence in the storm. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, Peter, now listen, now quit complaining about the storm. He said, just concentrate on me in the storm. If you'll focus on God's presence in the midst of your storm, you won't get your eyes on the storm itself, but you'll get your eyes on who's standing with you. See, God's not minimizing your problem. God's not minimizing your situation. He's not minimizing what you're going through. He's maximizing his presence in the middle of it. He's not saying, hey, listen, the only way we're going to be successful if we have no problems. That's not the truth. Truth is, we're going to have issues. We're going to have problems, but we want Jesus standing with us right in the middle of it. You're like, I don't know. If, I don't know. You know, I, I keep, the problem is I, I keep getting knocked down. You know, I go through things and I keep getting knocked down. I thought about that and I got something. To, everybody, don't move. I got something to show you. Oh, now be careful. If you have an affinity against clowns, I'm sorry, but we just got to work through that. We got to work through it. See, because when I was preparing for this, when I, when I was preparing for this, I didn't necessarily want Bozo. I just wanted a Weeble Wobble because my, my, my childhood went back to Weeble Wobbles. Then I start singing that song, Weebles Wobble, and they don't. Come on, somebody. See, and I begin to think about, I begin to think about Jesus coming in the midst, comes in the middle, because sometimes it's not about avoiding problems, it's about when Jesus comes, stands with us, how we get through it and how we come out, because sometimes life's going to hit us with things. But Proverbs says that a righteous man will fall seven times, but will arise. So sometimes it's like this. Sometimes life hits you with, you lost your job, but you get back up again. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's your, your marriage fell apart. Whoa, well, here you're back again. Maybe, maybe it's your boyfriend dumped you, or, or, or maybe it's your girlfriend dumped you, or, or, or maybe it's even worse than that. Maybe somebody unfriended you on Facebook. I don't know what it is. Here's what I want to tell you. When Jesus comes, stands in the midst with you, you can get back up. You can get back up. If you feel like you're sinking this morning, if you feel like you're in the midst of a fiery furnace, I want to give this to you that you can get back up. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. There's resurrection power on the inside. Come on. Come on. See it. No, no. See, sometimes... I'm going to work with this right here. I'm going to work with this. <laughs> see, see, because sometimes you get knocked down. You don't hear that song, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Well, sometimes you don't. 
Sometimes you need somebody to come help you. Sometimes you gotta have somebody help you out. Sometimes I can't get up on my own and I need you come help me, talk me off the cliff. Somebody come help me. Some come, somebody come and tell me it's gonna be okay. I, there's times I get back up, I boom, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna keep coming. I'm gonna keep coming. Sometimes I'm like, I don't wanna get up. See, sometimes we can put on masks, we can say all the right things. I get knocked down, I get up again. Yeah, that's awesome, that's me. Sometimes we get knocked down and we wanna lay there for three days because we're depressed and we're hopeless. And I want to tell you, both of those are real. And both of those, Jesus wants to come stand in the midst of it. He's not intimidated. If you're knocked down, stay down, bozo. <laughs> there you go. There you go. See, see, sometimes if you're like this, you got knocked down and you're, you're there. It's, J- Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, well, get up and I'll come over there. I'm telling you, he extends his hand right where you are and says, come on. Come on, we can do it. Come on. I know it's hard, I know it hurts, but you're gonna make it through it. So this is what it means when we come and he stood in the midst, stood in the midst. So he's standing in the midst of your situation. He said, if you've been knocked down this morning, get back up again, and he's there to stick out his hand and help you get through it. Let's look at the next thing he says. He stood in the midst, but then that wasn't all. He didn't leave him that. He stood in the midst and then he said something. He came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. He said, peace. He stood in the midst, he came in the middle of their situation, but then he had something to say when he got there. Here's what's important about that. You need to hear this part. You will hear a lot of voices in a situation, but we need to listen to what Jesus has to say. Sometimes you're in the midst of a situation, everybody's got lots of opinions on what you should or shouldn't do. But when Jesus comes in the middle, he doesn't just come without having something to say. We've got to listen to his voice. And he comes to say something. This is why sometimes it's great to get godly counsel. It's great to get godly wisdom. I am all for it. But there's sometimes in situations you need to listen to the voice of Jesus. And when he came in the midst, he had something to say. I'm not just showing up just to be impressive with my my entrance. He said, I got something to say. So the words of Jesus sometimes are the only thing that's going to bring us through a situation. Sometimes the presence, and here's what I mean. The presence is great. But what about when you're not in the presence? I'm not talking about where God's not with you all the time. I get that. I'm talking about maybe you're not in church or you're maybe not around other believers or, or maybe you're just not feeling it. Has anybody ever served God and you just not felt him, not even you know, just emotionally or spiritually? It's like, I know he's with me, but I'm just not feeling it right now. Well, sometimes when I don't feel it, his words are the only thing that keeps me going. There's sometimes the hype is not there. Woo, yeah, sometimes that's not there. So, and when it's not there, I read his word and I say, God, I don't feel a thing, but your word says, your word says, I'm about to throw in the towel. I'm about to quit right here, right now. But your word says, sometimes we got to listen to what he says. He shows up and he says, peace be to you. Peace be to you. We need his peace in the situation. Philippians 4 says it this way. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. In the middle of your fears, anxieties, struggles, trials, Jesus comes in to bring peace. If there is no peace in your situation, you need to be looking for Jesus. 
It doesn't mean there won't be problems. It doesn't mean there won't be issues. We need to look for his peace in the midst of the issue. You're like, Chad, all this is going on, all this chaos in my life, all this happening. I can't get any peace in my life. We can have internal peace in the midst of external chaos. We got to find it. We got to look for it. We got to listen for the voice. We got to listen for the peace. If you're looking for peace to equal no problems, I can see why we'll never embrace peace. But when my peace involves listening to his voice and trusting what he says, I can have peace in the midst of external chaos. This is what he's telling us. This is what he's wanting to pass on to us. Now let's look at the next part. Verse 20, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jump down to verse 24, just for time's sake. Now Thomas, Thomas called the twin. I don't know who his twin was. The Bible's not specific on who his twin was. We just know he was a wonder twin. Powers activates. Form of. Thomas the twin, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Now Thomas called the twin, <laughs> now, Thomas called the twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. Now where was Thomas? You know, I'm asking myself, well, where was Thomas at? You know, I've heard people preach about, well, he was just afraid and he didn't have enough faith to be there with him. Well, they were locked, they were in with the locked doors, so I don't know that they had all this faith. I like to speculate. I like to add my own little stuff to stories. So I don't think it's going to be too sacrilegious. But I, you, know, you realize the disciples were on lockdown. And when you're on lockdown, you still got to eat. So somebody had to go get food. I believe Thomas drew the short straw. He had to go pick up the pizza. <laughs> he had to go get the General South's chicken. I don't know what he was doing, but he was not there, bottom line. He's not there whenever, whenever Jesus showed up. So look at the verse 25. He's out getting the takeout. Jesus shows up. How do you know you'd be a little bummed if Jesus showed up while you were gone? Look at verse 35. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> have you ever been around people like that? <laughs> that you're in the midst of a situation you really need God to show up in your life? You're waiting for God to have a massive breakthrough in your life and people come up and they're telling you, I've seen the Lord, yeah, yeah. And you, instead of embracing their celebratory story, you get more discouraged. Maybe not you, but I'm just saying it could happen to other people. Said so we've seen the Lord. See, you gotta learn to celebrate other people's successes because God will find you in your, in your situation if you'll learn to be happy when they saw the Lord. They, he didn't embrace their celebratory story because he was so depressed about his situation. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in our situation that we forget to be happy for what God's doing in other people. We saw the Lord. That's awesome. Fantastic. I haven't seen him yet, but I know I will. That wasn't his response. And oftentimes that's not ours. Moving on. He said, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, here's what he says. Check out his response. Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas says, I will not believe unless three things take place. I want you to make note of these three things. We're going to finish with this. Three things. I will not believe unless three things. Number one, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails. Unless I see. Here's what this is about. This is about the significance of personal acknowledgement or recognition. That word see there means to know or have complete understanding of. Here's why that, per that word is important. You'll need this later. Unless I see the prints, unless I see 
with myself unless I recognize myself. That word see there is a Greek word that means to fully understand, to know everything, to have it all figured out, to have all the ripple effects understood, to know how it's going to work out. No, unless I understand everything completely, I'm not going to believe. That's what he was saying in that moment. But here's the other part that I think is important for you and I. Uh, he said, unless I see, I can't believe. And I believe this part is true. Unless you see for yourself, you will never believe. You have to see for yourself. The Bible says this, that you need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Me seeing for you won't help you. You seeing for me won't help me. You need to see for yourself. And that's what Thomas was saying. I can't believe unless I see for myself. And I believe that in this application that people will never believe what God can do for them unless they see it for themselves. Mama can't make you believe it. Daddy can't make you believe it. Your kids can't make you believe it. Your husband, your wife, nobody can make you believe it unless you see it for yourself. You got to recognize this is the first part of being able to believe. God, God told me this, said there will never be true appreciation of the payment that was made for us without recognition of the debt that was owed by us. There will never be true appreciation for the payment that was made for us without recognition of the debt that was owed by us. In other words, until you know what you were in debt for, you're never going to appreciate what Jesus did for you. How many of you, let me try and make it in a, in a more practical application for you. How many of you that have a mortgage that if someone came up to you today and said, you know what, I'm going to pay off your mortgage for you. You're like, excuse me? Yeah, I'm going to pay off your mortgage, all of it today. Tell me the amount. How much is it? Don't be fudging, raising up or more than what it is. You better be right. Tell me what it is. Well, it's, you know, I owe X amount of dollars. Okay, well, here's, here's a check. Pay off your mortgage today. How many of you know, you know your debt, you know how much you owed, that you're going to be very grateful for what that person has paid for you? Oh, thank you. No, 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 no. Thank you. This is awesome. Hey, who does that? It's incredible. I have no, you paid off my house every month. You're going to want to call them. So I just want to say thank you again because I didn't have to make that payment this month. You are incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We would be very grateful, right? How much more is what Jesus did for us than someone paying off our mortgage? We got to appreciate it. We got to appreciate what he's done for us. But until we see it, until we see who we are without him, we'll never humble ourselves enough to find out who we can be with him. We've got to see it for ourselves. We got to make sure we, we see what God's trying to say and, and see how he's communicating it to us. So let me, let me go ahead and, and move on to the next part. See, maybe, maybe this story would help you. Remember Elisha, the prophet Elisha was, was surrounded by the enemy and he and his servant on every side. And, and this is why we've got to see it for ourselves. The, the servant looked up and he saw the enemy surrounding him and Elisha prays and, and says, hey, Lord, will you open my servant's eyes? And the, and the servant goes out and looks again and he sees angels and chariots of fire all around the enemies. And the, the prophet said, there are more that are for us than those that are against us. Sometimes we need to see it for ourselves. Once we see it, then we can be begin to believe it. So let's look at the next thing he says. We got to see it. Number two, Thomas said, I won't do it unless I see it. Number two, unless I put my finger into the print of his nails. This is very important. I put my finger. Everybody look at your finger. Your finger is unique. On the end of your finger is called a fingerprint. And your fingerprint is unique to you. There's over 7 billion people on planet Earth, and there is no one who has a fingerprint like yours. 
Your fingerprint distinguishes you from everyone else in the history of the world. So when Thomas said, unless I put my finger on it, what that's telling me is that Jesus will never be real to you until you put your fingerprint, until you see it with your eyes, you have to actually read out and touch it and say, I want you to change my life. I want to put my finger on the scars. I want to put my finger on it. So in other words, Jesus, I want you to come and save me. I'm not talking about I just see it with my eyes and everybody else thinks it's good. I want you to come. I want you to come be in my life. You need to put your personal fingerprint on a relationship with Jesus. Until you do that, it won't be real for you. You've got to reach out and touch him for yourself. Put my fingers, what he said, until I put my finger. I'm not talking, all of you other guys, you already saw him, but until I put my finger, and that's the message for you, until you put your finger on a relationship with God, he'll just be somewhere off distant that everybody else has seen him, everybody else has experienced him, but you have to put your finger on it. But then he said something I thought was also interesting. He said, until I put my finger on the print of the nails, the print, the print is just a word that means scar. I think this is really important when we talk about this. Said, Unless I put my finger on this print or on the scar. And I want to say two things about a scar. A scar is either a mark of a wound or a mark of a healing, depending on how you look at it. It's either a mark of a wound or a mark of a healing, depending on what your focus is. Because it's either a reminder of something that's very painful for you or if it's, it's a reminder of a healing that took place in your life. Both of those things are true about a scar. It's either the marker of a wound or it's a marker of a healing. So, but I want you to realize this, that scars tell a story. Scars tell a story and scars are very important. There's a difference between a wound and a scar. A wound is still open. A wound is still real. A wound is still fresh. A scar is something that's completely glossed over, completely healed over. And when he says he reached out and touched his scar, I want you to know the difference. He didn't reach out and touch his wound. He reached out and touched his scar. It's, not, it's a story of either what happened to me as a wound, but a scar is a story of what God brought me through. A wound talks about what somebody did to me. A scar tells me how God brought me through what happened to me. So you don't want to get rid of scars. The scars are very important. They tell a powerful story. They tell a powerful story. We need to make sure that we don't, don't get away from that. It's, it's about who we focus on. And because if it's a wound, a wound is still fresh and it's real sensitive. You don't let people touch a wound. You go to touch a wound, ah, ah, don't, don't touch that. It's still sore. That's a wound. But you can touch a scar. I've got a scar on my thumb right here that reminds me of a woodcutting accident with me and my brother. And this scar, you can touch it all day long. But when I was... When I was in the third grade, you couldn't touch it. But now you can touch it, and not only, not only is it healed, but right along the scar, it's not even as sensitive as the rest of the skin around it. So what used to be more sensitive to the skin around it, God has brought such healing that you can touch it now, and I can't even feel it as much as I can feel other areas of my life. Come on, you don't miss what God's trying to do in your life right there. He's trying to tell you that what was super sensitive to you someday, he will heal it so much that people can touch it and you don't even feel it anymore. But sometimes we don't understand the power of a scar. And I want to say this to you just as we talk about this. I want to show you a picture here in a moment. And it's kind of graphic, so for those of you who don't like graphic things, you might, I want to just kind of prepare you a little bit. But I want to show you a picture of, of something that was very real to me. This is something God wanted me to, 
to give a story about my situation, talk to you about the difference between scars and wounds. So go ahead and bring up this picture. This picture is a picture of my leg, 17 years old. And this happened at a football accident during a game and, and a compound fracture of my left leg and that little black spot in the middle. This, this picture is like two or three weeks old because they've already taken the staples out of that big part there. Uh, that's where the bone came out. And, and this picture is a picture of a wound because this picture represents fear. This picture represents hopelessness. This picture represents pain, represents confusion, represents uncertainty, represents disappointment, represents dreams shattered, represents what was thought to be a life over at that moment. That's what it represents. That's what that picture was. That's a wound. But now, it's a scar. It's a scar. You can hit it. It's not pretty because not everything you go through in life is going to be pretty. But my scar tells a story that now this isn't pain, hopelessness, despair. I don't have any of that anymore because God took what was thought to be my end and he gave me a future. He gave me something bigger than what happened to me. The story is not what happened to me. The story is about what God brought through that and how he brought me out of that. It's how he brought healing into my life. It's how he restored me. You're going to have some scars in your life, but don't be afraid of your scars because there's some people out there that have some wounds that look like your scars. And they need to know that their wound can be healed just like your scar. They need to know that their wound. I needed somebody as a 17-year-old boy to come tell me, hey, Chad, there's more to life than throwing a ball. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. I know you're missing your whole senior year of basketball. And I, I know all these dreams are gone. Scholarships are gone. Hey, Chad, it's okay. No, this is it. This is over. It's never going to get any better than this. That's why I thought, Dan, because it's a wound. When things are a wound, you can't look past it. When things are a wound, they're so fresh and it's hurting. But now, through time and healing, God brought me through that. That now people look at me like, man, what happened to your leg? I don't start bawling. Oh, I lost my scholarship. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't mean what happened to me wasn't painful. It doesn't mean what happened to me wasn't disappointment. It's just that my story wasn't over then. My story didn't end on that hospital bed. My story just started of a new chapter of what God wanted to resurrect in me. That, hey, Chad, these dreams may pass away, but I got some new dreams that I want you to focus on. Sometimes you're going to get wounded and some things are going to stop in your life. But let me tell you, the resurrection power of God wants to come into your life and bring you a future and a hope and heal that over so it becomes a scar. Because here's what's important in church. Remember, sometimes people measure their success as a believer by their lack of scars. They think Christianity, see, because if Jesus, if Jesus was able to be raised from the dead, surely they could have got rid of the scars. He said, he said, he showed them his scars. They said, why did he still have scars? Well, Hebrews 4 tells us. 
tells us that we do not have a high priest who does not sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Why did he keep his scars? Why did they keep his scars? I think it's because he wanted to be able to show me and said, Chad, I had wounds that were healed. So now you can believe that your wounds will also be healed. He had scars to tell a story and he showed him. He said, hey, look what I've been through. Look what I've went through. Some of you measuring your success, you think becoming a Christian means you've got to get rid of your scars so everybody can think your life is perfect. You know, church people, they don't have any mistakes. They don't have any scars. Oh, they got them. They may need to roll up their sleeves and show them to you. But I am guarantee you, every single one of you have scars out here. You don't talk about them to everybody, and that's fine. But you've got some, and you can't be ashamed of them because there's somebody out there that has a wound that matches your scar, and they need to know that God brought you through that. And if he can bring you through that, then he can bring me through that. See, I can go to a 17-year-old boy or girl and tell them, hey, I feel you. Man, I feel you. I remember not too long ago, I was helping, well, it's been quite a while ago, I was helping uh, with a football team and, and, a, and a boy, a quarterback, hurt his leg and was out. I remember going home from that game. I was, I was at that game, coach. I remember going home from that game crying because I remembered. I remembered. But my story wasn't over. I felt for him because I related. And listen, God's going to take you back sometimes to your scars, but he's wanting to do, wants you to do that so you can help someone with a fresh wound get healed over again. He said, put my finger in the scar. Scars are important. Don't be ashamed of your scars. Be proud of what God's brought you through. So now let's look at the last one. He said, now I want to put my hand in his side. I got to put my hand in his side. What about his side? The side, quickly, this is where Jesus was hanging on the cross. And they wanted to make sure that he was dead. So the Roman soldier took a spear and shoved it right up in under the rib cage, right up, went through and penetrated this membrane. There's a liquid membrane around the heart. And this liquid membrane uh, is like water. And it protects and makes the water, keeps, it, or keeps the heart from drying out. Went through that, penetrated the heart. So the, the Bible says that blood and water came out. What, what was this? This was the death blow that the soldier wanted to make sure that Jesus was dead. So when, he, when Thomas was saying, I want to put my hand in his side, here's what I believe is relevant for us, is that Jesus wants you to know that he really died. It wasn't pretend. He really died. And he really died so that you can live. So when Thomas was putting his hand in his side, I believe Thomas was wanting to connect with Jesus that even the things in my life that were dead, he can still bring them back to life. Even things that are over, even things that are completely dead, there's no hope for them. Jesus said, there's always hope because I was really dead, but I really came back to life. So when you put your hand in Jesus' side, you're saying, I believe in resurrection power. Even dead relationships can come back to life. Even dead dreams can come back to life. Even dead hope can come back to life. That's what he's telling us through that process. So now, even if you've had a death blow here today, in your life, God's wanting to breathe hope into you. Let's look on what he says. So now, verse 26, he said those three things. You know, unless I see him, put my finger in the print, put my hand in the side, I'm not going to believe. Look at verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. After eight days, really? You know, Thomas just said, you know, Jesus, you know, if I, I'm not going to believe unless I do these three things. And, you know, Jesus waited eight more days to show up. Has anybody felt like they've had to wait eight days for a seed breakthrough in their life? 
You felt like that Jesus showed up for everybody else and it's taken eight days for you to see what you're believing God for? Come on, faith is built on the eight days. Faith is created during those eight days. Where You know, Thomas had to be in torment every day that they said, well, we saw the Lord. Every night he goes to bed, he's probably thinking, well, why come the Lord showed up to them? He hasn't showed up to me. Why does the Lord love them more than me? What did I do wrong? Guilt, condemnation, all the while you're waiting for your breakthrough in your life, the enemy's going to whisper all kinds of things into your heart. Just do not listen that God has abandoned you. God has forgotten about you. God has forsaken you. Forget all of that. Don't listen to it. He will show up for you. It took him eight days, but he showed up. He didn't forget about Thomas. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see him, I put my finger, and I put my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe unless I see all those three things. I laugh at Thomas, but I've done the same thing. God, I'm not going to believe unless you do this, this, and this. Then I'll believe. I'm not going to trust you unless I see this happen and that happen and that happen. Then I'll believe we can get on Thomas, but we, we're all called Thomas once in a while. So he says, he shows up, and Jesus is so awesome. He shows up in the midst. You know, the doors were still closed. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, uh, reach your finger here. Notice he answers all three of Thomas's requests. Number one, he said, I've got to see him. Boom, I see him. Check. Number two, reach your finger here, your finger. Put your identity on my scars. Look at my hands and reach your hand here. Put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, that word, here's the important part. I talked about this earlier. I want to bring it home with this. It's our last point. Thomas, because you've seen me, that word see means your eyes, just physical eyesight. You saw me. Because you saw me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen. Now, this is not the physical eyesight word. This word means the same as what Thomas said earlier about having full understanding to figure everything out. Blessed are those who don't see everything, who don't know everything, don't have it all figured out, and they still believe God. We're not going to see Jesus in the flesh. I mean, I have not seen Jesus personally with my eyes. Some people have. Jesus has appeared to them. That's awesome. I want him to do that for me, but it hasn't happened yet. But he says, blessed are those, not only who don't get to see with their eyes, but also don't have to see how everything's going to play out for them to believe. Do you have to know everything that's going to happen before you trust God? How many times have you stayed up worrying How's this going to work out? How's that going to work out? How's it? I don't know. This won't work. It can't happen. And Jesus wants to come and stand in the midst and say, hey, trust me. But I don't know how it's going to work out. I know, but I do. Just let me stand in the midst and speak peace to you. So I want us to do this as we close. If you would just bow your heads with me. I want to give you an opportunity to do what Thomas did give you an opportunity to, to see for yourself, to recognize, number one, who you are without Jesus. To recognize that if you will acknowledge the debt that was owed against you, you can appreciate the payment that was made for you. I want you to see it this morning, not out of guilt, not to try and con you into making some kind of decision. It's just to be honest and truthful, to recognize that sin separates us from God. 
I've got to see it with my own eyes. Number two, I want to invite you to reach out your finger and to touch his scars. Now that's going to be two applications. For those who are not born again, that's not saved, you're going to reach out and touch him to say, I want you in my life. For me personal, he has to be a personal savior. He's not a family savior. He's not a church savior. He's an individual personal savior. He needs your fingerprint. But number two, if you're already born again, when you reach out and touch his scar, I want you to reach out and get healing for your wounds. Wounds of people, wounds of people that have said things about you, wounds of church wounds. Maybe you've shut the door and said, I'm not, I'm not going to church anymore. Those people, those people hurt me. May, have, may absolutely be true. May be very valid points, but I want you to know Jesus said that my wounds were healed and here's the scars to prove it so that your wounds can also be healed. Keep trusting in me. Don't get focused on people. People are going to make decisions and people's going to do this or that. Let them go. Let God work out with them. But you get your eyes on Jesus. Reach out and touch his scar and let him heal every wound you've ever had. Let him heal that marriage wound. Let him heal that job wound. Let him heal that relationship wound. Let him heal whatever it may be that's caused you to shut the door this morning. He says, come on, let my love cause you to open the door. Then thirdly, I want you to place your hand in his side and I want you to believe that he can resurrect dead things. Two applications for that. Number one, if you're lost this morning, we are dead in our trespasses and sins until Jesus' blood is applied to our life. We're dead. But if you're already a believer, you've got some things that you're facing that they've received, maybe it's received the death blow. I want you to know that if you'll put your hand in his side, it will encourage you that even those things that were dead can live again. I want to tell you what Jesus told Thomas as we get ready to pray. Do not be unbelieving this morning, but be believing.